Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm here with Shanu, my colleague, and Angie Kent to talk about her new book. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. <laughs> ah, so thanks so much for joining us, Angie. Thank you for having me. We are very lucky to have you. We are recording before The Bachelorette has finished yes. airing. Yeah. Well, long after it's finished filming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we have been very sneaky and had, had the opportunity to talk to you. But we aren't talking about that. No. We're talking about your book, we which are. was written before you went on the show. Mm-hmm. But I think leads neatly into the sort of mindset that you were at when you when you decided to, to do it. Yes, definitely. It kind of probably leads in to what's coming up for me. and um, But yeah, no, the mind frame of going in and being, you know, fully ready for my next massive adventure. Absolutely. I, I think uh, what I found interesting about this book is how you were so uh, – watching the show – I don't, you don't come across as someone who's been through what you've been through in the past, you know, two years. Yeah. And I think it's been a pretty rough ride. Yeah. Um, but you come across as this completely together person who, mm. yeah, you speak your mind, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you'd never know, I don't think, how much, um, how much you've gone through. But this book is a much deeper sort of look into what, what you've been experiencing. So can you tell us a bit about what caused you to want to do this other than, you know, someone offering, offering you a book contract? <laughs> I've always loved to write. I'm not one of those people that's going to do something just for the sake of doing it, um, even though I do like to push myself to the limit. Um, I have to be passionate. I have to feel for it, for sure. Um, when it was suggested, or offered to me to write a book, I've always loved to write. I've always been quite good at expressing myself and I feel like I express myself better through writing, even though I'm quite quick with my words, which can get me into trouble. Um, There's no judgment when you're writing. You don't second guess yourself. You just write what you're feeling and your experience. It's, yeah, it's your story and everybody has a story and I think everybody deserves to tell theirs. And I thought, you know, it's a sign from the universe that people might want to know mine and what I've been through and Mm. you can read it and if you don't want to, then that's totally fine, but you should. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we agree <laughs> um, One of the things you talk about really early on in the book um, Is, you know, you've been sort of professionally single for a long time um, And part of the reason for that I think you, you describe as being sort of Feeling as if all the people you know who have coupled up Have settled into these really um, sort of annoying gender roles mm. um, Do you still feel that way? I do feel like, uh, see, it's hard to say that without overly wanting to offend anybody, but this is just my opinion and my feeling of what I've seen growing up. I grew up in a cosy environment where it was was still very much your mum was your mum and your dad was your dad and he went to work and he made a lot of the family decisions and my mum just lived for us. Um, And a lot of the time I didn't, really see a lot of romance and love to a relationship. So therefore I was like, why does everybody want to have one so badly? I, I got so many things I, I want to do. Um, yeah, and I've just seen a lot of friends and friends of friends and family members kind of just dive into these relationships without fully knowing who they are. So how do you know what you want in a partner if you don't really know yourself? That was always my biggest, my biggest thing. Um, and I think that's why I was single for so long. Mm. 
And, and you talk about in the book that it was really um, doing the sort of second show that you're, you're known for, I'm a Celeb, Get Me Out of Here, that really helped you get like sort of strip back all of that yes. and kind of sort of find yourself in that way that you talk about that you need to know yourself before you can. I think so, definitely. I feel like, I mean, I, I've had boyfriends. I was really lucky with a couple of boyfriends. They were great. But I felt like being in that cozy environment, you know, I got a boyfriend at, I think I just turned 16. We dated till I was 18. He was beautiful. Then I kind of had another boyfriend and then I kind of had another boyfriend and I was a little bit like, am I just doing that because that was expected of me? But I had so many ideas in my mind. I wanted to study. I wanted to travel. I wanted to be a career woman because I hadn't seen a really successful relationship and then a really strong career woman just growing up in the area I was in. Um, I just wanted that for myself. So yeah, I think everything I had done, but then the jungle definitely was, and everything I'd been through, but then, then the jungle was definitely the icing on top where I was like, I've done everything I said I've wanted to do. The only thing I haven't experienced is allowing myself to be vulnerable and fall in love. Yeah. And so I was like, let's give it a go, I'm ready. Yeah, you talk a lot about the universe and how, you know, every and, and people that come into your life and how sort of that is, you know, it's the universe's way of saying this is what you need right now. Yes. And so that comes through very strongly in the book and you have quite a lot of like influences that have been um, really near and dear to you and you dedicate, um, you know, you dedicate the book to, um, to your nan. Yes. Um, can you tell us a bit more about um, sort of your philosophy around that and, and your relationship with your nan, if, if you can, because I know yeah, that it's, you know. <laughs> definitely. No, I've been... I was brought up quite Catholic, so there was still a lot of spiritual element around it, but it wasn't something that I felt super connected with, but I loved the idea of praying with my family members and knowing that there was a higher power to rely on. I didn't, as I got older, I realised I was, uh, it was kind of put into my head, this is what I had to believe, and then as I got older, I felt more connected with the universe or my angels or spirit guides, and I got into meditation and my nanny, even though she's a Catholic, she was very spiritual and she often, you know, would say, you know, just focus on within and always hand yourself over to, well, she would say the Lord, but then I would say the universe. But she didn't mind what whatever word I, what I wanted to use. She was always just so free and as long as I was expressing myself. And she taught me a lot about spirituality and relying on what will be, will be. And... Yeah, I was very blessed to have her. So I think a big thing for me, losing her so unexpectedly mm. the way I did uh, was such a shock to the system. But then after it, it almost as if I felt like this, this like feeling of being safe and calm because like even though she's not there, she everything I did I knew she was she'd set up. And I, I don't know, it was just weird. It's hard to explain. It sounds probably a bit loopy, but it did. It just felt right. And I never felt frightened and I stopped second guessing myself. And I was like, you deserve happiness and you deserve to take care of yourself. And the jungle came and then this came and I was like, she set it all up for me. So I trust her and I just dived straight into it. <laughs> I think it's. I think that's totally fair enough. Yeah. I mean, you have a chapter in the book that you call "woo woo." In fact, so I, I, yes. So th I even do. The, I, you, in sort of your trademark style, I think, managed to balance being quite serious in some ways about it because obviously it's a very close family member who you loved, um, who passed away, but um, you still managed to make it 
fun, I think. Yeah, I mean, everybody goes through stuff like that and they lose people and you have these connections and there's people in your life that are your soulmates. Nanny was one of mine. I'm not just because she was my nanny, because she was, we would always say she has a direct line to God because she'd pray for you and it was like miracles would happen. And everybody that met her was like, she's just different. She's she's um, an earth angel, I like to call them. Some people are earth angels and they pick up on people's energies and no no stuff more stuff like an extra sense and that was her so I was so lucky to have that and yeah and yeah not having her around it was is so hard but I still know that she's always guiding me now and I'm not so frightened to kind of make decisions because I know that I've got my number one angel looking over me so I'm yeah, pretty that must be very comforting it is it's yeah. comforting because life can be frightening you know yeah. we put a lot of pressure on ourselves yeah, and you certainly talk about that in the in the book about how you were, especially when you were younger and you just moved to Sydney, and how mm. you were, you know, trying to be perfect all the time, and how that led to sorts of sort of other issues. And yeah, um, it's 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 actually quite amazing for anyone that you know you know you are very open and you're a very open person, but you really kind of dive deep into the book about your experiences with all sorts of different yeah different issues. And what what kind of are you um, are you sort of hoping to be able to like help or like just explain to other people that you know you might look perfect on the outside but yeah. on the inside I feel like the reason why I finally decided to be so open about this is for so long I struggled internally to fit this kind of role I'd created for myself but also through um expectations from other people and I was so frightened of being judged and I wanted everything to be perfect and I was like I'm not perfect and what makes me me is the fact that I'm not perfect, the fact that I'm super sweaty, the fact that I don't have a brain to mouth ratio but I have a massive heart. Sometimes I say things that could be offensive but I'll do anything for you. Yeah, um, yeah I just I just I think it's just so important to talk about your struggles because my idea of being perfect was like an addiction and no one's perfect. And it's so important to realise, like, who wants to be perfect? Like, boring. boring. <laughs> so boring. But there was just something in me for so long and I, I hid all this pain of my family stuff, my eating disorder, my battle with anxiety and I'd cover it with being, you know, oh, look at me, I'm doing this now and I'm travelling here. And I was like, no, I needed to sit down and be like, who the hell are you? And feel to heal because you're just burying it it's going to yeah, come out another somewhere. way <laughs> one way or another it's coming to get you so I felt all the ugly stuff and I just I sat with it and realized most of that I don't like the word ugly but most of that scary stuff is is me and I just embrace it now yeah and you talk also in the book about um you know your really strong friendships um that you've that you've had with um I think it was your friend Sarah who yeah Sarah um, yeah. yeah Sarah sorry she spells it Sarah <laughs> I don't it's very hard in a book thinking. form you don't know how it's pronounced I know I should have just spelled <laughs> Need it to put Sarah it like, yeah. <laughs> pronounced like Sarah yeah and she was the reason that you moved to moved to London Yes, yes. So she moved because she's half English. So when she went there, we were just like soul sisters. We did everything together from high school to uni and we lived together in the States. And when she moved, I did feel like I lost a part of me. So I saved up all my pennies and I got over there and I just moved backwards and forwards from London off and on, oh God, for years. And people wouldn't have known that, that no. you were filming Gogglebox at yeah. the same time that you were in Sydney for a little bit and yes. then you were back in London and then back again. That must have been that very hard stressful. Like that gave me 
any shingles. I'm not going to lie. And then back in <laughs> Queensland too. I mean, I don't oh think, God. I mean, reading it going, oh, you, you had to go find somewhere to sleep in your car because yeah. you, you didn't necessarily, you were sleeping on people's mm-hmm. couches. I gave up. I couldn't afford rent by the, because I'm with living with Tom, you don't pay rent. Um yeah in return for your care and integrating him into the the community, you live there rent-free. Nothing's free though, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, so once I gave that up because I moved to London, Evie obviously needed another housemate. So when I'd come back to film, I wouldn't have a home and I didn't have money because I'd be starting fresh from London. Um, so I would often... Yeah, stay on people's couches, house sit, pet sit. So I'd always be going to different dogs and different dogs come with different needs or different cats and birds and... Oh, my God. <laughs> and then I'd be on people's yak. And, and then sometimes I'd just be so exhausted and in such a foul mood and people aren't usually used to seeing me in a foul mood, I'd just sleep in my car because I wouldn't want to be around people. It's a good thing you're small. <laughs> I'd have so many naps down by the harbour and just cry like a baby. I don't have anywhere to sleep tonight. And I felt like a burden, you know, even though I'd let anyone sleep on my couch. Well, not anyone, I mean my friends and family. Um, just this random person. Just anybody come sleep <laughs> on my couch. I still don't have a couch to offer you, to be honest. I've been quite the gypsy this year too. Um, yeah, so it was pretty hectic. But that's the life I wanted to live. So I kind of had to take the... The bad with the good. good. But I also felt like I was always running away too. Mm. So that was huge for me. I I couldn't sit still and that was saying something. Yeah. And then came the transformative sort of moment for you of going on celeb, which Mm. for most people, as we were talking about during our signing, I think everybody else in the room said that they would never ever do that. Yeah, they were like, well, "How did? What <laughs> how was that thinking? an enjoyable experience? Why was it? What? What the hell That's are you talking so about?" That's so true. I think it was also like the lead up going into it. Like, obviously, last year being technically kind of homeless, moving around a lot, not having enough money for rent because I was flying home to see Poppy was dying, and then he unexpected. Well, he was slowly dying, and then going to get Nanny set up, and she wasn't dying, and then she died. Like I was flying backwards and forwards so much, I couldn't afford. To- Sydney's expensive. Yes. We all know that. <laughs> so I was just losing all this money. So I gave up my little place, and yeah, it was kind of like I just want- once she passed, I just surrendered. I was like, I'm sick of running. I'm sick of trying to do fifty thousand things at once to numb my pain, I was like, I'm moving home, I'm looking after my mum, I'm gonna just stop planning and surrender. And then the jungle came and I was like, this is a sign, it's Mm. a scary sign. I could have a complete mental breakdown on national television, but that was the risk I was willing to take because I felt like my body just needed it. Mm. And it was the best, it was so hard. God, some days I was like, I gotta go home, like I'm, I'm, I'm starving, I stink, I'm around people 24-7, you know, but I just, I learnt so much. Random things crawling on you while you sleep. On my fingers, ticks, (laughs) going to toilets that got filled up to the top because no one wanted to change it during the night, you're sitting on other people's pee, but I loved it, I'm such a little grub. I'd be down washing my clothes in in the water and hanging them up over trees, like it was just full back to basics and everyone's equal and all we want is the same thing is food and good conversation and connection it was really good yeah it's sort of returning to the yeah. the, the old maslow's hierarchy of needs it's so it's really, true when you get brought down to having to pee in a bucket with mm. everyone else and just showering realize. in front of you know anybody yeah. just lose all kind of things you would and not wearing makeup 
Yeah. Like, I never had to worry about how I looked. And often I'd look at myself. They, we gave us tiny little mirrors we'd share. There was like two for around 15 <laughs> people. And you'd look at yourself and you'd just be like, okay, I don't need to do that again. No. Whereas now I can always go look at myself. And in the jungle, I wouldn't even think what I looked like because mm. there was nothing about that. Oh, it was great. I loved it. Sounds like you actually <laughs> genuinely miss it. I want to go back this year as soon as I saw them post. I was like, can I come back? <laughs> Everyone will be like, no more reality. Get off our screens. We've had enough of you. Well, that brings me to ask about being a reality star, which is a very strange... I mean, it's been around for a long time now, but when we were first talking about you coming into the office, we were all sort of more broadly speculating about the fact that that's now a job. Yeah. And it's a relatively new job to have done for your whole career pretty much a big part of your career anyway do you what do you think about that as a job I mean I guess it is my job isn't it I mean this year it's been my entire job with Gogglebox it's actually observational documentary I like to say (laughs) so technically I've only done two reality shows everybody's like you've done three I'm like two obdoc um with Gogglebox I obviously still had to work so I was uh working behind the scenes in film tv but as soon as I got on the tv no one wanted to hire me anymore Uh so I was still always nannying because film tv work can be very you know hero here or nor there and then I was a support worker but over this last year yeah I guess I am a reality Mm. tv personality (laughs) and you're probably heading into what is going to be a sort of terrifying publicity storm um, mm. post, post-Bachelorette um, when it finishes. Yes. How are you feeling about it? I have done it pre-show, during show, and then I get to do it post-show but with my man, which is lovely. I don't have to do it all by myself anymore. Um, as much as I've always loved doing everything by myself, this is the next chapter in my life where I have to learn to do something uh, in a partnership, which I'm really excited and also scared about because, you know, I've not done that um, properly before. I'm, I'm excited. You know, everybody's got opinions. I used to sit on the couch for four years and give mine. Mm-hmm. So I can't overly get upset with people and what they say because it's like, <laughs> hello, posh. People were very nice about you, though, on the, on the, current, on the current Google Box. But they, I did think they, unfortunately, they did the person they liked the most when all the men were coming in happened to be your oh brother. Oh, my God, I know. So that was a bit They're awkward, like, I'm sure. Ew, ew. And I was like, that's my, I can't, that's my brother. I can't date my brother. That's but it's weird. Lo- it's lovely that they all thought that he was a, he was a wonderful well, guy. He is. <laughs> so. He's so beautiful. And I'm so glad people could see that across television. But, yeah, he wasn't. And editing. is he single? No. Oh, at the time, he wasn't. He, but he is he now. He is now. So yeah. there you go. So <laughs> maybe, maybe he's an ex-bachelor. <laughs> Everybody said that. They were like, Bachelor 2020. And I'm like, oh, my God. I don't know. I don't know about if that. If the world's ready for, if the for world's re- another Kent, they'll be like, no more Kents. But yeah, no, it's um, I'm excited. I take everything kind of like, you know, bring it on. You, mm. you talked in the book about um a really another transformational um event for you, which was going to South Africa. So is that something that you were um and with the school and yes. the, with the girls there? Um, is that something that you would be looking to do? Moral, yeah, yeah, 100%. So that was for Seed Camp, which a beautiful friend, a couple of friends of mine have set up over the last, I think, five years they've been doing it. I would have loved to go back this year, but I was in South Africa for other reasons. reasons. <laughs> um, but, yeah, definitely once this all settles down, I'd love to go back over and see my girls. Um, I stay in touch with some of them, the ones that can have social media and whatnot, you know, as it is kind of 
yeah. a place where yeah. a lot of them don't have the things that we're lucky enough to have. Yeah, I want to get back into all that, back into, you know, promoting all my rescuing, adopt, don't shop. Yeah. And, yeah, just definitely promoting um, integrating people with a disability into the community. That's huge for me. I mean, I'm just a normal girl and I lived with a man with a disability through my 20s and I had the best time ever. I think there's such a stigma around you have to be mature or frightened that you're going to do the wrong thing. But Yeah, or your life is going to be, you know, just looking after someone and not yeah. fun anymore. But you, in the book it very much oh, comes across so how much so fun you guys it. had. God, we, us two together, we're out of control. We've been to Bali, we've been to London together. Like, you know, it's hard work too, yeah. but he's... He's my best mate. Some of my best mates that are able bodies carry on more than he does. <laughs> you mentioned that in the book. Yeah, story, so I I'm like, don't be, yeah, just little things that, this is the thing, you can't hate, you've got to educate. You know, some people are like, ugh, it's like, well, no, because people don't know. That's right, they haven't they had that experience. If they know more, yeah. then they'll get amongst it. Um, and fear usually stops people from doing things, like going over to Africa to be with those girls. Like, oh, why would I want to go there and the province and, but it's so, it's like the most magical thing in the world. There just needs to be more promotion and education around it. And you mm. get there and you're just like, this is like heaven on earth. Well, I mean, I would love to keep talking to you because it just, you have such energy that you bring to the Can conversation. Can talk. It's <laughs> really nice. Oh, thank not you. everyone is as high energy. <laughs> I do have a lot of energy. <laughs> I can definitely talk. Um, so I, we, we're all looking forward to the next uh Angie Camp Challenge, whatever oh, it is. Who knows? Whatever it is. <laughs> and um, we'll be watching The Bachelorette to see what happens next. Yeah. And if you want to find out the prequel to The Bachelorette, <laughs> have a read of Angie's book. Yes. Um, and you can buy it at Booktopia. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. That's Ain't that the truth? Yes. Thanks so much for joining us, Angie. And hopefully with the next book, you'll come and visit us again. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> I'll start planning. Please do. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Thanks guys. Thanks again. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.